somebody and tell them good morning. Before creation breathed its first breath and all there was to be was not yet. You were seated there on your throne. How you glorious God alone. You're the one I worship and adore. Every moment leaves me wanting more. In your presence I am overcome. I sing your praise at the top of my lungs. You are God, yeah, I'm 
Good morning, Carpenter's Way. Good to see you here this morning. Uh, if you will grab your worship guides, I have a few things I want to uh, highlight in there. It's good to have you here this morning. If you are visiting with us, welcome to Carpenter's Way. Uh, whether you're in the room or on the internet, we're awfully glad to have you with us this morning. We are in the middle of a series uh, that I've entitled Out of Stained Glass. It's, uh, it's apparently one of the better titles because it's the third time we've done this series in different texts. But uh, this is uh, this morning we are going to be, well, I'll tell you about that in a few minutes. So you want to grab your Bible and, uh, and participate with us. If you didn't bring one, it'll be on the screen. We're just awfully glad to have you here this morning. And, and uh, uh, welcome. I want to uh, highlight on here uh, the, uh, some new members, people that just join our church, uh, the Wades, Carters, Hodges, the Butlers, LaCavara, and uh, Misty Dodson. Glad to have them as part of our church family uh, in the leadership and membership. Uh, I want to point out that there is a women's ministry insert in here. Uh, the ladies' brunch, uh, and on the back is Bible study information for the upcoming, uh, this fall season. Uh, I also want to mention, and this is super important, Carpenter's Way uh, is led, is elder-led. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, that is our, uh, there are seven of us that give spiritual leadership to the church, kind of oversee everything. Uh, underneath the elders is a deacon uh, board, uh, and then uh, the, obviously the church. And uh, each year at our annual business meeting, uh, we vote on those people who have been nominated and prayed through and discussed with the elders. Uh, and we add new, uh, new members to the leadership teams, officer, church officers every year. And uh, it is the last Sunday, the last opportunity today for you to make nominations. So uh, for the Carpenter's Way members, if you would take that this morning, and even while I'm preaching or whatever, if you're thinking about somebody you think would be a great elder, uh, or a great deacon. A deacon, uh, just to give you, uh, there's some scripture in there you can look at, but basically the difference between a deacon and an elder, uh, a deacon is uh, a, serve, a servant. They take care of the physical needs of the church. We have a mission investment team. We have a finance team. Um, um, what am I missing? There's one more. Elder and finance, is that all right, how we have right now? <laughs> I should know. I wrote the Constitution. But uh, then, then we, our elder council, they pretty much oversee all the spiritual health of the flock. And uh, we meet monthly and pray, and, and we pray over people and encourage folks, but ultimately decisions on behalf of the flock, except for purchase and sale of property in the annual budget, uh, decisions are made there. So these are important things, and uh, we would encourage you to prayerfully consider that. You can, you can drop it in the offering plate. You can bring it by the office. You can put it in the uh, box out in the welcome area if you, if you do this during church. But please participate. Uh, if you feel you know somebody that would fit well in those positions. Um, I think that pretty much does it. You can read everything else. Uh, but uh, our missionary uh, this week is the Lovekin Dream Center. So we would ask you to be praying for that ministry and a very, very significant ministry of rehabilitation in our community. And uh, if you have any questions, their website is there. Or you can call the office. But we put these in here each week so that you can put them on your refrigerator or on your where you eat, on your kitchen, somewhere, and be praying for these groups daily. So I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time as we prepare for our offering. 
If, uh, if you're visiting with us, this is the one part of the service we ask you not to participate in. Um, the giving is done by those who attend here regularly. We're glad you're here. We do not want you distracted by money. We're just glad that you've chosen to be with us this morning, and uh, we're going to see what God has for us today. Let's pray and commit our day to the Lord. Father, uh, on this September 11th, we clearly remember what happened 15 years ago today. I remember sitting in the hospital with somebody and looking at the TV and watching those buildings fall. Uh, Father, there's nothing that we can do about what happened 15 years ago except remember that life is fragile. Um, to see those huge buildings fall was just unconceivable. And, uh, Lord, we put a lot of trust in ourselves, in our ability to build destructionless buildings or lives that are safe from debt. And the reality is all that we have comes from you, the breath that we have the safety that we have. There aren't enough guns in the world to protect us from the evil one. And so we have to learn to trust in you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, as we remember those who are mourning the loss of fathers and brothers and sons and daughters and moms in that building, those buildings. As we think of those that were on the plane that crashed in Pennsylvania, Father, and the men and women who have given their lives in the last 15 years trying to make this country safe again, Lord, our prayer is that you would comfort those folks, but ultimately that you would bring them to yourself. But that we as your children would remember that our protection is from the King of Kings and the army of angels that he has set about us. And we thank you for, our, for the protection that we're not even aware of. And it is our prayer, Lord, as we're in a political year that we would be people of wisdom, that we would vote, Father, for um, the person that you place in our heart uh, that would reflect the value system of the kingdom of God and that would succeed this country, that would bless the world. and I pray for revival in this land, Father. It seems like we're moving farther away from you. And uh, I pray for the church. There's some 70% of people in this country claim to be Christians, and I pray that you would bring revival to that group so that we can reach the others. And if there's somebody here this morning or watching on the Internet that does not know you, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. I pray for those of us who are living here and trying to be faithful and walking with you, that today would be a day of great encouragement. We love you, Lord. We are thankful for what these folks are about to give, and we pray that you will multiply them and we would use them carefully for your ministry. Thank you for those that are in this room and those watching on the Internet. I pray that you would encourage them. The songs that are about to be sung, the words that I'm going to speak, aren't nearly as relevant as the words of the Holy Spirit. So we pray that the words of Chad and the worship team and my words would fade away so that the words of God would endure forever. In Jesus' name we pray.
into the world so that we might have eternal life through him this is real love not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins
I thank you that you are trustworthy. I praise you that you are faithful. I praise you, God, that you forgive us. God, that we know that even when we walk through the valley, God, with the shadows of death just reaching out and everything seems so bleak, God, we know that we can trust you. And I just ask, Lord, for those in the building this morning that are going through those times, I ask, God, that you would comfort them. I ask, Lord, that the, the scripture would kind of be their heartbeat. And even though we walk through the valley, God, you're with us. You're with us, God. And we praise you. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest without gospel 
had written four different parables right before the text I'm going to read you. And uh, those parables were about the kingdom of God. Uh, They're not the ones that we talk most about. Um, The kingdom of God, when you read it in the Gospels, is referring to uh, God's sovereignty over here, things here and in eternity, over everything, even when we don't see it's happening. For instance, uh, one of the four parables he tells here is from Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 29. Look, look at these verses. Jesus also said, The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows. Um, but he does not understand how it happens. He's talking, he is not, of course, God, but the farmer, the human farmer that's, that's plowing the fields and planting the seed. It's saying that that while he's asleep, it sprouts and grows. It does its work, even though he doesn't understand how it happens. Verse 28, the earth produces the crops on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes through. Then the heads of wheat are formed. And finally, the the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and he harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. I want to reiterate that when he's telling this parable, he's not talking about a location uh, or, or a thing that, 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 that holds land. He's talking about the whole workings of God in heaven and on earth. Uh, it, it's, it's God, the king's workings, the, uh, the kingdom of God, the whole counsel of God he's referring to. And there's a point in this that the disciples are going to have to understand for what's about to happen to them. Um, let me put it in these terms. These guys have been walking with Jesus for about a year and a half now following him along. They've seen him do miracles. They've heard him preach over and over again. Lots of stuff. But it's about to become really real to them. Mark 4, 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and they started out. I want you to note that it says, so they took Jesus in the boat. That's a very significant few words there. It's referring to Jesus had been doing all this teaching, and Jesus had been doing miracles, and he'd been doing all this stuff, but they are now in charge. They're taking him. So they put him in the boat, and they start out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. This is real life. What's about to happen is absolute real life. Jesus had been teaching. They had been listening They've been nodding. They get it. From their point of view, they get it. They were helping Jesus any way they could, supporting him. They were his deacons. From all senses, it had been a good few days, and now the rally was over, and it was time to head somewhere else. So Jesus said, take me over there. I want you guys to take me on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and I want you to take me over there. And they got that. Over there, across the sea, was easy for these guys. I mean, they, most of them, from what we know, had been fishermen, and they could handle a boat. This was one of the rare times when they could get in the boat and say, Hey, Jesus, we got this. Why don't you go and relax? It's been a long few days. Mark four thirty-seven. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Being fishermen, these guys could handle a boat, even a boat in a rainstorm. But this was different. They knew a boat. They knew the Sea of Galilee. But this storm was not your average rain event. It was fierce, Mark tells us. The Sea of Galilee is actually surrounded by mountains, and it's actually kind of long. And so, it is, uh, so, so if, if you've been there or if you study it, you find that it is not uncommon for winds to make their way down there, and it's like a wind tunnel. And it is rare but not uncommon for choppy waves of up to 50 feet to, to gather on that body of water. 50 feet, that's huge. That would take a cruise liner and put it in danger. And these guys are in a simple fisherman's boat. This storm was fierce. And to add to the problems, it was filling with water. For you non-fisher folks like me, that's no bueno. That's Spanish. Do you not know Spanish? You live in Texas right here. That's not good. That's not good. And it's about to get worse. 438. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. (laughs) That's funny right there. That's not funny to you? This boat is being rocked around. It's sinking and Jesus is sleeping. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Excuse me, we're just wondering, teacher. 
Don't you care that we're going to drown soon? This, this, this was not a pleasant moment. They are freaking out. And they wake him up and they shout at him, Rabbi, don't you care that we're going to die here? Um, the state of mind is clear. They're not happy with Jesus. They're not happy with their circumstances. They were convinced they could handle it. One more thing I, I want you to take note of that Mark records for us. That in light of the previous few days, a uh, few days Jesus had been teaching about his sovereign control over things. And the particular, even the parable I just told you about, referred to the farmer not knowing how that seed grows even while he's asleep. Okay, so, so let, me try to, let me try to put this into a context that will make sense. Jesus over and over have been saying, preaching to crowds about how the kingdom of God happens because he's the king. You get that? And the disciples bought into that. They had seen him heal the sick, and they were going to see him even raise the dead. They had seen him do miraculous things. They were fully invested, and they felt pretty good about being on his home team. They were sure that they could handle this. This was one thing that they could do without his help. Get him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And when it starts to fall apart, he doesn't do any of that magic stuff. He stays sleeping, which to them didn't seem fair. That's why they get mad. You get mad for a reason. You feel like you deserve better. You know, we say things like, I'm paying for this lunch, so I deserve a good waitress service. Or, how dare you come an hour late when it's, actually, what am I talking about? When you call the cable company, they come six hours late. We feel like we deserve better than that, and that's why we get mad. You are wasting my life. And the disciples are no exception. But they are freaking out for their lives. Don't you care that we're going to drown? Jesus had been trying to teach them that God is the one who does stuff. It's not them, and therefore they can trust him. Actually, they must trust him. And I actually think that they would say that they did. They understood his parables. And when they didn't, they would ask Jesus. Unfortunately, when real life hit Sunday school, it crashed. Ever felt that? I mean, seriously, have you ever, the, one of the things that frustrates me about the church, I, I'm not just a pastor, I'm a member, I'm a part of this body. It seems like we like to tell each other happy lies. Your kid is sick, God is good. Even if we don't feel it. It's like we, it's like we all know how to act and behave and how to say things, but the reality is sometimes we feel like these guys going, what's going on? Excuse me. I went to Sunday school every week. I helped you. I watched you. I prayed for ministry to take place. I've been to a Billy Graham conference. Are you kidding me? You're going to allow these things to happen to my life? Maybe you feel like the psalmist Asaph in Psalm 77. Listen to this. I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long, I prayed. With hands lifted towards heaven. But my soul wasn't comforted. Ever feel that? I think of God, and I moan. I'm overwhelmed with longing for his help. You don't let me sleep. I'm too distressed to even pray. I think of the good old days long since ended. You know, that mission trip to Brazil. When my nights were filled with joyful songs, I searched my soul and I ponder the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he ever be kind to me? In his unfailing love, is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. <laughs> By the way, in case you're not clear, that is the inspired and errant word of God. The feelings of a man named Asaph who, wrote, who writes the Psalms. The heart and feelings of a servant of the Most High writing the very Word of God, their feelings about being abandoned. Do you ever feel, excuse me, I thought I knew you? Or how about, when did you decide that I'm the enemy here, God? I'm your kid. I would never treat my child like this. Ever cry out to God and say, hey, Rabbi, don't you care that I'm drowning? That's reality. And it's not the experience of a lazy American Christian. We love to beat on ourselves. But one of the things that I really want to encourage you on is that you are no different 
than anybody who has ever worshipped and served the King of Kings. Have you ever prayed this from Psalm 83.1? Uh-oh, I, I didn't read that verse before. We jump from story to story that we like. Look at that. God, don't shut me out. Don't give me the silent treatment, oh God. Asaph, same guy. You think he's struggling in trust? Think his life is rough? Or maybe you've even quoted, how about this person in Scripture? Okay, if you didn't gasp, who said this? Are you kidding me? God himself felt, what's the word? Out of stained glass. Version 3, the emotion edition. It's what it is. I mean, we like to jump from story to story and thought to thought, but we, we don't often sit down. We talk about their sinfulness. We talk about Sarah laughing at the Lord when she says he's gonna have a, she's going to have a baby. We, we look at their sin. We look at Peter denying Christ. But we don't ever think about when they're faithful, sometime them looking up into heaven and going, hello, still here. I was doing your work and I'm drowning. This doesn't seem, what's the word, fair? And Jesus himself, the God-man, looks up into the heavens and says, my God, my God, you're forsaking me now? You're abandoning me? Even you? I want to remind you that the only people around the cross is Jesus, a couple of the guys, and his mom, and some women. The guys are all hiding up in, a, in an upper room. They'd all abandon him. Even Jesus felt it. As I was thinking about this week's edition of Out of Stained Glass, feeling abandoned, I realized how common it is. I started looking through stories in Scripture. It's not just common for us, but it's common for our patriarchs and, and the faithful in the Scripture. The psalmist Asaph, the disciples, even Jesus himself. You need more proof? How about this one in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 to 11? John the baptizer. I don't like that how it's Baptist. He's not a Baptist, okay? He didn't join the Southern Baptist Convention. He's a baptizer. That's how he got identified. Oh, which John are you talking about? You know, the one who baptized people, so he's the Baptist. John the Baptist, uh, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the, uh, the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, Go back to John, and you tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. In case you're not clear, this is the end of his life. The next section says that they killed John. It's a pretty amazing passage if you think about it. I mean, John was a bold, locust-eating, camel-hair-wearing, crazy zealot. He was the guy wearing the sandwich board walking down downtown Houston saying, Repent, for the day of the Lord is near. And he blinked at the end of his life. He's in jail, abandoned, doubting. Are you really... Are you really him? All those things I preached. I, I'm just wondering. This wasn't just any Christian. I want you to listen to how Jesus refers to him. So, <coughs> excuse me. So his disciples leave John, uh, Matthew 11, verse 7. The very next verse, okay? This is the part of the story we don't read, but it's important. As John's disciples were leaving, okay? So John sends them. He's in prison. Go make sure he's the Messiah because I'm about to die for somebody and I want to make sure I shouldn't change my story. <laughs> So they go. Jesus says, tell them what you've seen and heard. Go back and tell John, not turn away, stay faithful. They go back, and Jesus begins talking about John to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothing? No, people within, with expensive clothing live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yeah, he is way more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer to when they say, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. Now, now stop. Pause for a second. Don't, don't, don't go ahead. Listen to this. This is a guy who just sent his disciples to ask Jesus if he can be trusted. And when they leave, Jesus just lays out his resume. That guy they're asking for, he's a great guy. In fact, look at verse 11. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, of all who ever lived. Look. Okay, so 
I know that I know that we get confused here because people go, well, I thought that was David. No, David is the guy God said, that's what it looks like to love me with all your heart. David wasn't the greatest man that ever lived. That explains a couple issues with women and their husbands and his kids. He wasn't the greatest man that ever lived. David was the man who had the greatest heart for God of any man that ever lived. This was the greatest man that ever lived. That's Jesus' words, not mine. And yet he blinked. He blinked. He doubted. He questioned. You know, we got people going around telling you if you struggle that you're abnormal, you're not faithful, and maybe not even saved. And even Jesus on the cross himself looked up into heaven and said, why are you abandoning me? John the Baptist was the greatest because even in utero, he celebrated Jesus in Mary's womb. Remember that? When he saw him crest a hill, he told his followers he was God's lamb that would save them. When his disciples had shown concern that their flock was leaving to follow Jesus, John said, I need to actually decrease it so he can increase. Let him go. Encourage them to follow him. And yet at the end of his life, he was arrested for speaking truth to a king, and he was about to be killed. So he sends his boys to make sure that Jesus is whom he had been preaching about his whole life was really who he said he was. I'm about to die here. I am right, aren't I? Was Jesus mad? No. He's not mad. In fact, he tells the crowd that John was the greatest man who ever lived. Why? Because beyond Sunday school and the parables and flannel graph and stained glass and revival meetings, there's a real life that happens that leaves us with feelings that are very human, if imperfect. Storms, false arrests, defeats in battle, sickness, and seemingly unanswered prayer leaves us at times wondering if God has abandoned us. For the disciples, for the psalmist, for the prophet, and John the baptizer, for Jesus and for us, there are moments when you just ask questions. What are you doing? Back to the Sea of Galilee, Mark chapter 4. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, silence, be still. Um, the word said there is significant in the Greek. It means doesn't shout. So get the picture. You got the boat. You got big waves. You got a fierce storm. Waves are going over the side of the boat. They can't bail fast enough. They get frustrated with Jesus, so they wake him up. Don't you care that we're drowning here? Jesus wakes up. He looks over the side of the boat, and he simply says, stop it. Be calm. The next Greek word is suddenly. The word in Greek translated into English has multiple translation, but they all meet immediately. So they're doing this, and the storm stops, and where do they end up? On top of each other because they have sea legs working. Jesus talks to the storm and it stops. And there was a great calm. Except for the urine in the bottom of the boat now. <laughs> I added that. That's not in Greek. Then he looks at him and he says, why are you afraid? Don't you have faith? I'm going to add to that. Did you not hear the stories I taught? Were you not paying attention when I healed the sick and the lame? Remember that story you heard about me turning water into wine? <laughs> it was true. I can turn water into fermented grape juice. I make things out of nothing. I'm the creator. Were you not paying attention? Did you not hear me explain that even when you feel like I'm not doing anything, I really am? Did you not understand the parable that I told you about the farmer who, while he sleeps, can't figure out how things grow? I told you in parables, I showed you in miracles that I can be trusted to make sure the right things are done for what must be done. Where is your faith in me? Verse 41. The disciples were absolutely 
terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. They didn't think it. They didn't just wonder it. It doesn't say this, but I imagine if after the storm suddenly stops, they're all on top of each other in the bottom of the boat. They must have looked at each other and went, who is this guy we're serving? Even the winds and the waves obey him. I'd like to propose to you today that we have no idea who this one who saved us is. The people who walked with him had no idea who he was. The pastors, the preachers, John the Baptist had no idea who he had been preaching about. No idea. How can I say that? Because that is the question of terror. The moment of terror when they are no longer as scared of the sea as they are of the one in the boat that they just told off. Who are you? What do you mean, who am I? I'm your dad. I made this. Don't you trust me? Yeah, I trust you a lot. With my life. Psalm 77, I read you earlier, Ace of Psalm. Let me read you the rest of it. I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned His hand against me. But then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. O God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. Your strong arm, you, uh, by your strong arm, you redeemed your people. The descendants of Jacob and Joseph. I love this part. When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured down rain and thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows lightning flashed. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. This is my favorite part. Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway nobody knew was there. You led your people along the road, that road like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. Do you remember when they come to the edge of the Red Sea and they're freaking out? Even Moses doesn't know what to do, so he starts praying. God, help us, save us. The Egyptians are here. We're going to die. Remember what God said? Walk. Actually told him to stop praying. Walk. Here's the ironic part, and it's probably not fair, but Jesus told the disciples to do what? Take me to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He didn't say go to the middle of the sea when the storm comes panic. His instructions were clear. Keep rowing. What if we die? Row at the bottom of the ocean. Keep rowing. He didn't tell Jonah, go to Nineveh if you like the idea. And he didn't tell you to be faithful as long as it works well for you. He said, finish. Keep rowing. So you want us to row even if we're drowning? Yeah. Nobody drowns unless I say so. So God kills people? Well, death comes because of what happened in the garden, but it says, I have determined unto man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. Psalm tells us that he has numbered the days of our lives and that even our pathways are set. Well, that's not very nice. He's God. Take it up with him. But I assure you that when he answers, you like the disciples will say, who are you? I'm glad you asked. The doubt comes. It seems to be part of the human child of God experience. But when it comes, we have to remember that God is at work even when he seems asleep. We must learn that God is at work even when we are asleep. 
We know this not because of what we feel or what we experience, but because of what we know of Him, what He has done in the past, and what we have seen Him do. But now we must choose to trust as we do when we step on an airplane that can fall out of the sky. Nobody likes to get in an airplane, sit in a window seat, and think about the fact that they're in a piece of metal that's going to go about 500 miles an hour at 35,000 feet. Why? Because at some point when it's taking off, you're going to realize that that thing can drop out of the sky. I can hardly wait for them to show the movie Sully on an, air, on an aircraft. I've never been on a cruise, but I've never heard of the movie being Titanic. But you get on that plane because you want to make it to the destination that you started out to head towards. And you believe, enough to take a sedative if you need to, that it's going to get you into to the right destination even if there's turbulence along the way. <clears throat> Remember what Jesus told the doubting and abandoned feeling John in Matthew 11, 4 and 5? Go back to John and you tell him what you, have heard, the, what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead ra are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. I know your story. I've read it cover to cover. And I know the storms that will come. The waves will swell and the sky will darken. Though you'll fight against the current, you'll be swept away. You'll feel helpless and abandoned. And you'll wonder where I am in the midst of it all. I know this isn't the way you thought our relationship would work, but my plans are not for my comfort or yours. My purposes are always and only an expression of love. The scars in my hands are proof that love will sometimes lead you directly into the storm. Though you can't understand my plans, you can trust in one thing, that I am entirely good. You can't even imagine how good I am, and my plan for you is no different. When you shout asking where I am, know that I am right behind you, with my arms wrapped tightly around you, whispering, I will never let go. For you are the pinnacle of my creation and the center of my affection. There will come a day when I will quiet every storm, and wipe away every tear. In that day, there will be no more pain or death. But until that day comes, I will be your anchor in this storm. haven't talked about much this morning except to say that he was not the greatest man that ever lived, did have a heart for God. In fact, Jesus said, that's what it looks like to love me without your heart, mind, and soul. That's what that looks like. And David actually tells us in Psalms how he got there. How did he live? His life was incredibly turbulent. I encourage you to study his life. From his own decisions to the decisions of his children, to his kingly decisions, to his own rebellion, but in Psalm 23, David explains how he made it through. The Lord is my shepherd. Everybody knew in Israel that he was a shepherd boy. And he wanted them to know and us to know that the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strengths. He guides me along the right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, please notice that he does go through them. The faithful man or woman of God whose heart belongs to the Lord is not freed of the pain of the dark valleys. Even when I walk through those dark valleys, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. 
You prepare a feast for me in the presence of mine enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And then when my life is over, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Brothers and sisters, it's not easy. It's hard. And it's scary. And there will be times, and maybe now, that you will feel like God is asleep in the boat while you're drowning. But I assure you, even asleep, He is more in control and more powerful than you can ever possibly fathom. Look back at how He's been faithful to you. How He has saved you. How He has shown Himself to be true in the past. And do not depend upon your present feelings, but you depend upon His past faithfulness. And the day will come, and maybe soon, when He will walk you through the doorway into a time and a place where you will never fear again, never be sick again, never worry again, and never, ever, ever be out of His sight. You will see Him. You will walk with Him. There will be no more pain or sorrow. Put your hope in God. Don't put it in the preaching. Don't put it in the music. Don't put it in the message. Don't put it in the parable. Don't put it in the politic. Don't put it in your Bible study. Put your hope in God. He is the answer. Let's close in prayer. I do not know what battles or struggles you are having right now. But I would like you, I'd like to challenge you this morning to be honest with God. If you're mad, ask Him, doesn't He care you're drowning? In your heart, He can hear you. Ask Him to help you believe. Ask Him to remind you of his past faithfulness to you. Give that night terror to him, whether it be your health, your occupation, your family, your own fears. Maybe you're here this morning and you're even doubting whether or not he saved you. You think you've outsinned that. Put that at his feet. Put your hope in God. I'm going to be quiet for a few moments and I'm going to give you a chance to talk to him and I beg you this morning, talk to him. Talk to him, he hears you. Thank you for David, Father, who wrote of his emotions in Scripture. And he publicly asked in front of all who follow you, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Father, for us, in 2016, there is much to fear. Like the storm on the Sea of Galilee, it seems to be raging and sinking the boat you didn't tell us to stop and stare at the storm or panic or wake you up. You simply told us to keep rowing. For the Jews at the edge of the sea, surrounded by Egyptian warriors, you told Moses to keep walking. Put your feet in the Red Sea. For the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant into the Promised Land, that had to cross the River Jordan, who were afraid of the weight of that thing drowning them, you told them to quit talking and put their feet in the water. You have not asked us to stop walking or praying or trusting. You've asked us to put our hope in you. And so I pray that prayer of the father that I mentioned last week whose son was demon-possessed. We believe, but we need help with our unbelief. Thank you for not being angry. 
Thank you for not throwing us out. Thank you for not giving up. Now we ask you to give us hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Miracles happen all around us, and you have to be paying attention. For instance, it's 1043. That's a miracle. I, I, just, I just want to say one more thing. It is wild here. This is a wild spiritual ride we're on, and I assure you that after November, it's not going to get any smoother, even if your guy or girl wins. Walk with God. Walk with God. Moment by moment, every day, and I'll join you. Let's walk with God together. Let's take this less seriously and this way more seriously. Walk with God. Why so downcast, O oh, your soul? Put your hope in God. Bible study is going to start in 16 minutes. You've got time for coffee. <laughs>